made it too. You're awake. After all this time, I didn't think you'd come back to the land of Pod. It's me, remember? Kitty M. The old geek. I'm about to take you somewhere really nerdy. We're going to talk about She-Ra, or is she She-Na? Mechs, because, you know, robots. I mean, there's, there's just too much. Let's roll. Player two, come in, sit down. It's been so long. Don't worry, I have got the latest news from the Land of Pod, which may not be the latest, depending on when you're travelling here. Okay, the biggest news is that Carrie Fisher will be showing up in Star Wars Episode 9, which doesn't have a name yet, but she'll be there. Because of course she will, was there ever going to be any doubt? Now, if you have been living under a rock, Carrie Fisher passed away about a year ago now. But they'll be using footage from episode 7 to make it happen, which is a touching way to pay respect to her, I think. Also showing up in episode 9 will be Billy D. Williams, the original Lando Calrissian. So there are two things that I want to have happen in episode 9. Leia will have had a kid to Lando, because imagine how super smart and charming that kid would be, and maybe they show up. Also, I'd like it if we finally find out that Rey and Kylo are brother and sister, but their parents are Leia and Luke, which would make sense because both of them are so strong with the force, right? Yes, it's gross because, ew, siblings, but you probably read A Song of Ice and Fire, so don't even tell me it hasn't crossed your mind. Also, if you were one of the people getting excited about the possibility of Dick Grayson and Batman getting jiggy with it, no, you don't get to judge me on my theories. Yeah, that was actually happening on the internet. At least my theory includes two people who grew up literally light years apart. But you all with your Batman and Robin sitting in a tree? I saw you on the internet. And look, thirsty fandoms have their place, and while they tire me out because they make everything about sex and relationships, it's still nice that they have their place, because everyone should. At the same time, Really? Grayson and Wayne? Dick Grayson is Bruce Wayne's son. Adopted, yes, but his son. And I don't know, it just, I just think that this idea that we have to sexualize every relationship where people care about each other, it just makes me tired. Because it means we never get to have just relationships where people are friends without exchanging bodily fluids. It's like there's no room for just platonic. And people aren't happy unless everyone in the universe is doing it with someone and most people. But especially this coupling is wrong to me because it's one of the few relationships where Bruce Wayne slash Batman has someone that's an actual connection. And it's one of a father-son dynamic, something we rarely see in comics. Men don't engage well with each other in general in this medium. They're always competing in some way. Which is why I find the Nightwing-Batman relationship important. Because it's showing us that even the dude who is literally dying from the poison of toxic masculinity can still be able to be a half-decent, caring father. And when you make that care about a sexual relationship, it erases the father-son dynamic, which I think is very important to show. It's also... This thing that we do when someone is ambiguous with their sexuality or gender expressions. The way Dick Grayson is. And we decide they have to be hypersexual and into doing everyone. I just don't think that needs to happen every time. Something that does need to happen, and I'm glad it is happening, is the Batman Who Laughs miniseries. This was announced by Scott Snyder. If you're following the Dark Knight Metal series in comics, you'll know that this multiverse villain is basically answering the question, yeah, but what if Batman was Joker? Now there's going to be a miniseries. Which is great, I guess. 
I mean, I'd rather read about the drowned, who answers the question, yes, but what if Batman was Aquaman and also a lady? I suppose I'm less thrilled because Snyder's not teamed up with Capullo on this, and they're one of the greatest teams since Upchurch and Weeb, just not nearly as problematic. The artist with Snyder on this project is Jock, who is talented, no doubt, but I don't know, I just like things staying the same. Keeping with canon, as it were. Which is why this next bit of Batman-related news is killing me. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is apparently not so happy with the fact that the Flashpoint arc might never happen. He's kind of pointing it towards the fact that Zack Snyder is no longer as involved in the DC movie universe. Now, first, Zack Snyder suffered a devastating loss, which is obviously a contribution to him no longer working as heavily in the DC movie universe. However, we'd all be dummies to not realise how much his vision gets skewed by neckties trying to make his movies into something they were never going to be. Snyder is good at making dark comic book movies, and DC is a dark universe. Not always, but it can be, and when it is dark, it's at its best when he makes them. For them to not bother with Flashpoint arc is just straight up stupid. There's so much fun to be have, and the love of multiverse is huge throughout most fandoms, and DC fans especially are craving it. Oh, and speaking of fluffy characters that we love, no, not Ezra Miller, but I'll get to him. Hammond the Hamster, aka Wrecking Ball, is an absolute gem of a creation. He's the latest hero to join Overwatch. I don't want to give too much away, because Blizzard have written him a great backstory that deserves the clicks, but basically, he's a super intelligent hamster who built his own mech, and I am here for that genre crossover. So, in honour of that, come on, player two. Let's head to the land of mechs, where I can tell you about the best way to get into them. It's through the cockpit. <laughs> that was a mech joke. I'll show myself out. But also you should follow too, because you have no idea how to get around this place. Just look at them, player two. Giant robots. Some stretching up further than you can see. Can you imagine piloting one of them? This is the land of mechs, and it is expensive. What's that? What's a mech? Well, I am glad you asked Player 2, because I was wondering how to blurt out all this knowledge without seeming like a bit of a know-it-all. A mech is a giant robot that you can drive or pilot. It exists in a number of sci-fi stories, but it's fair to say that it's gained its biggest following from Japanese anime and TV shows. So you're thinking about things like Evangelion, Voltron, Gundam, and to an extent, Power Rangers. It's also had a fair amount of success in video games, and while Titanfall was a fantastic game, it really wasn't serviced as well as it should have been. Mechs show up in all sorts of places. Overwatch being probably one of the latest places it shows up in video games. We've seen it with D.Va and now with Wrecking Ball. But as far as what mech is, it's a bit like transhumanism in that it can be an entire genre on its own, or it can be a smaller part of a larger sci-fi offering. And it's not always an easy thing for people to get into. See, I've tried watching Appleseed a number of times. I keep falling asleep. I have no idea why. I think it's a combination of the music and the colour tones that they choose. But mech animation and stories have been around for a really long time, so it can be intimidating to find how to just get into them. Luckily, I'm here to help you navigate, because I'm a good person. So, where to start? First, you're going to want to find something that appeals to you that involves mechs. There's plenty of different stories out there, so don't get disheartened if one mech story doesn't appeal. That doesn't mean you're not into mechs. It means you're not into that story. Some of them take a while to get warmed up, so you have to take your time. Others jump straight into the action. There's also some that require a lot of back knowledge, and that is just 
not all that enticing to someone dipping their toe in the water. So my first tip, watch Pacific Rim. You can watch Pacific Rim Uprising as well, I guess, but the amount of screen time the Jaegers, those who would be mechs, get on screen really isn't enough for me as someone who loves her big robots. It also doesn't explain about the Jaegers, it's more human focused. And even then, who cares about human character development when you've got giant robots? Pacific Rim, however, is a nice gentle way to get into seeing if you're really into the whole big robot with pilots intertwined stories. If you want something more animated and more at the core of what it is in the mecha genre, sometimes it's mecha, sometimes it's mech, I like to interchange them, but if you're low on time, there's Pat Labor. There's movies, anime series, manga, and most recently a live action. I say start with the movie, because it's like two hours and then you can see where you go from there. The plot is similar in some ways to Bubblegum Crisis, which I'll talk about a bit later, and it's about mechs that are used to rebuild Tokyo City and they start to go haywire. It's a different take on the mech genre, but I don't hear too much about it over here, so if you haven't looked into it yet, I'd recommend it. It's huge and a good way to spend an afternoon. If you don't want anything too heavy in theme, then Gundam Build Fighters is a good way to start. It's not unlike the anime for Pokemon or Yokai Watch, though slightly less kiddie. It follows the kids who gunpla. That's the act of building a toy Gundam or mechs, and then they battle it out on a stage where the mechs are brought to life. Doesn't require knowing anything about the Gundam series or universe, while still letting you see the mech fighting capabilities. I think there's also a fair bit in there for older Gundam fans, especially if you fell out of the way of it, which is easy to do given the amount of history in Gundam. Extra fun is that you can actually Gunpla. Gunpla kits range in price, but the easier ones can range from anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks. You can try it out for yourself. The more intricate the kit, the more difficult it is to build, and the more expensive it gets. If Gundam Build Fighters tickles your fancy, then you might want to look at the original Gundam series. I honestly don't know too many places for you to start with this one, but if Wrecking Ball in Overwatch has really caught your eye, then there's something in Gundam for you, because there's actual ball guys. Kind of like Wrecking Ball? within the series. As I'm not a huge Gundam fan though, I asked Beardy Hammer. You know, he sometimes visits the land of Pod to tell us about Star Wars. Well, he's also a guy who knows his mech and space opera anime, so he has loads of suggestions. Gundam Origin is a good one, according to him. It's a six-parter, which means it would be perfect ratio of time to universe tasting to get a feel for it. He's also recommended MS-8 as a possible starter in the Gundam universe because it's a good standalone, so it will give you a good feel for it all without requiring you to sink a lot of time. And it feeds into the fuller Gundam universe. He's also recommended Big O, but I don't know where I can find it, and you know me, if I can't find it legally, I don't watch it. But Big O is, in Beatty's words, the Batman of Mech, so it sounds like one to keep an eye out for. And finally, he recommended Captain Hero, which is again, a good series, not part of the Gundam universe, it's your standard piloting robot to save the world anime, but it has some deeper themes in there as well. Now, if Gundam and all of these seem a bit too daunting for you, or you want newer style animation, and I get that, there's some less time-intensive anime out there. Darling in the Franks is a new anime that has a slight Pacific Rim vibe, but involves orphan kids who have to pilot mechs, and there's hints at some dastardly government plots and experimentation going on here. If you're a mecha fan and haven't tried this out yet, I recommend it, because it's giving me those new type pilot vibes from Gundam. If you're more about political dramas, mixed with mechs, then you should definitely try out Code Geass. That takes place in a universe where the Holy Empire of Britannia has taken over Japan. It's wiped out its name and replaced it simply with 
Area 11. Lelouch is a young noble, for want of a better term, who decides to stand up against the Empire after he gains the ability to control people's minds. Within this series, there are mechs known as Nightmares, and there's plenty of battles with them so you get a taste of what mech anime looks like, though on a smaller scale from Gundam. Gundam are giant, huge, skyscraper-sized mechs. Nightmares are more like two or three people high style mechs. This isn't too heavy on the whole mech aspect, but it has it in there. If you're looking for something that's battle suit, like Code Geass, then I'd also recommend Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040. I was mentioning it before when I was talking about Pat Labor, and in a similar vein, robots are going crazy and some ladies show up to stop that from destroying the world. I've just started watching it. It's a bit old school with the animation, but it has deeper themes and strong lady characters. Or you can try out Concrete Revolution, which mixes magic, mythology, and mechs. It's a similar animation style to Dragon Ball Z, so if you're into that, you could get a kick out of it. Also, if you're a fan of Full Metal Alchemist, I think you'll dig it because it's got some of the same team working on it. Whereas Lagrange, Flower of Rene, is also another that's made it into my viewing list. It strikes me as like, Sailor Moon, but instead of magical makeup, she gets a robot to pilot. There's a bit of fan service in that one, even just in the first episode, but then nakedity and mechs or any kind of robot stuff does seem to go hand in hand a lot of time with anime, so just be aware of it if that's not your thing. If all of this seems like too much, there's always Voltron. The old Voltron is killer, and if you can get your hands on the series as it originally aired in Japan, rather than how it came out to us here in the West, inverted commas because I'm in Australia and we're very much part of the Asiatic region in a whole heap of ways, but when it comes to Voltron, we got the Western version. So all the bad guys were robots and none of the good guys died and they just went to sleep for a reason and never returned. The new Voltron, which is on Netflix, goes okay, but I've only seen one or two episodes and not all of them in order because they have a Dungeons and Dragons episode I needed to watch it. Still, it's an easy way to get into the mech genre. I know, I haven't touched on all the mech that is out there, and there are some subcategories and offshoots that I wish I had time to cover, but we're late and we haven't even reached the trash fire yet. Come on, player two, let's go. On our way to talk about Comic-Con and here we are at the trash fire. But do we deserve to be? We have to talk about James Gunn, who made a pretty awful joke and now has been taken off Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Which is a win, right? And someone like me is happy about that. Because I'm a social justice druid and look at me being super happy that people are being called out, right? No, are you stupid? Look, this is really simple, and I hate to have to explain this to adults, but in the course of your life, you're going to think stupid things, and you're going to say hurtful things, you might even do horrible things. And you're not going to be sorry for them until years later. Unless you're Trevor Noah, apparently. You don't apologise for anything. But generally, that's how growing up works. It's a constant process of de-jerking yourself, and cringing at what a mess you were, and apologising for the damage you did. I was an absolute terror when I was younger. I thought I was so edgy and right. And I was so sure I was right about so many things. So why did I need to see someone else's perspective? I already knew I was right. Even when I got another perspective, I was too busy trying to be right and win rather than listen. Now, since then, my morals haven't changed, my values haven't changed, and my personality hasn't changed that much. But my view has. I've seen more and learnt more, so now I try and be better. And I think that's what James Gunn was trying to get to. I'm not defending his comment. It was gross and not clever. But people are problematic. Everyone you know is problematic. And that in itself doesn't make them less lovable or likable. It makes them human. 
The true test is whether they're willing to do something about it when they hurt someone. And there's been a lot of talk about this on a whole heap of fronts. What's the difference between Gunn and Roseanne or Trevor Noah or any other comedian or artist? Well, here's my hot take. As far as comedy is concerned, it's a political act. The best comedians and the best comedy is the kind that calls out power imbalances or stereotypes or outdated ways of thinking that are being harmful. If you're really that funny and clever, you shouldn't be punching down. So here's an example. I recently multiclassed my drow in D&D so that she could start being a bard as well as a druid. One of the cantrips, that's a spell that has unlimited uses, is vicious mockery. You basically say mean things to the enemy and it hurts them. Now, when working out my insults to the enemy, I decided not to make them easy, cheap shots. Instead, when I insult an enemy, I'm going for who they are as a being and their place within a power struggle of the world. Or I make pop culture references that poke fun at people who are not that great on our meat space plane. And why? because it's an actual challenge. Plus, my DM gives me an extra D8 roll if I make him laugh, and clever makes people laugh. When you punch down, when you rely on stereotypes, when you refuse to use your intelligence to call out truth to power or to question things, you're wasting the chuckles, and it's hurtful and lazy. Now, did James Gunn deserve to get fired? I don't think so. It was 10 years ago, and he hasn't demonstrated that he hasn't changed, and see, that's the thing. People get upset when an apology isn't accepted, but an apology is the start. People like to apologise, but they so rarely do anything to show they've actually changed. And that's why they're not allowed to just get away with it. Sorry isn't enough. You've got to back it up. I think he's backed it up, but time will tell. Let's get out of here, player two. I want to talk about San Diego Comic-Con and Shazam. Here we are, in the abandoned halls of San Diego Comic-Con. I'm lying, this is just a, a gym. We've snuck into a school. I can't get to San Diego Comic-Con, are you kidding me? I'm trying to save up for a house in Sydney. I'm lying. No one can afford a house in Sydney. But let's talk about Shazam. Or, as I like to say it, Shazam! Because I like to say it that way. You would have seen the trailer by now, I hope. So let me give you a little backstory. It's about Billy Batson. Is he the secret son of Batman? No, but if DC would just give me a chance, I would write that story arc so hard. I'd also do a crossover with Black Lightning. Perhaps Black Lightning is a descendant of the original Shazam or something like that. I don't know. It'd just be loads of fun, though. So anyway, the story of Billy Batson, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, is basically that a kid gets the best superpower you can think of when you're a kid, which is to be an adult think about it. What's the closest thing you get to a god or superhero as a kid? It's adulthood. You seemingly get to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, and buy whatever you want. It seems like fun. It's of course not because taxes and capitalism, but in Billy's case, it's just the fun part of being an adult while also being a superhero. His arch nemesis is Black Adam, also known as Teth Adam, a thousands of year old warrior who has had many storylines, all of which recently centre around him doing questionable things for the right reasons. Unlike Billy, he's an actual warrior who's seen some of the most horrific things happen, so he's not entirely convinced that holding hands and singing Kumbaya is going to solve everyone's problems. And while everyone is very excited about the trailer, it has to be said that hype began for this movie because The Rock is going to be playing Teth Adam. But why does this trailer hit so hard? First, it starts dark, then lightens up at exactly the right point. It shows a goofy but flawed character, 
who you have to keep reminding yourself is really just a kid. And the cool thing about this is that it's really looking like it has enough light and shade for everyone. See, the common criticism of DC movies is that they're too dark. Zack Snyder cops a lot of flack for this because it's apparently his fault when the studios butcher his work. But the truth is, if we've seen darker DC movies in comparison to Marvel, it's because the world of DC isn't interested in pretending everything is bright and fluffy when it's not. Even in this Shazam trailer, things are not great. Billy Batson looks pretty violent for a little kid, if we're being honest. I've got a feeling he and Damian Wayne would be very good friends. But this also has an obvious humour to it, which is what everyone's been after. It's just they've been after it with the wrong heroes. DC can do goofy and obvious chuckles. They can even have that peppered through Batman and Superman, but that's not what those guys are solely about. So if you're going to have movies about either one of them, there's just not going to be enough laugh out loud moments because that's not what they're here for. Shazam, however, let's face it, is a bit silly in concept, so they can be a little more obvious with the lols. And if this sounds like I'm using the Shazam trailer to defend Snyder, then yes, and you're welcome. I didn't think I'd have to point out to adults that superheroes are inherently different and that their stories require different touches depending on what aspect you're exploring of them. But it seems no one can quite get over the fact that Batman only engaged in dry humour and awkward social interactions because they're hungering for the Hollywood Batman who convinced everyone he's a superhero and not what he actually is, which is a really intelligent guy who's deeply flawed but ultimately a nerd. Shazam will get the crowds in if people allow themselves to just look past their own disappointment at setting themselves up for DC films that aren't here for everyone. I know, Marvel are crowd pleasers and that's delightful. I enjoy Marvel films. They're their own brand though. DC are different. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I prefer a more tailored approach to my superheroes and DC are doing that. Maybe finally now they've worked out how to not get in the way of their directors. And for people who are looking for reluctant heroes, we have the Aquaman trailer. Jason Momoa, who is the Arthur Curie we've all been waiting for, is bringing rock star vibes. And that should please everyone who wants more Iron Man in their DC movies, but wanted it gritty like Batman. Visually, this looks stunning. Stories stand out. And if I'm being completely honest, yeah, the trailer doesn't get me revved up at all. Not the way Shazam did. All of the lines felt a little cookie cutter, like I could transport them to any other superhero movie. So if it is like that, Marvel fans should pretty much like it because they like the same recipe the same way, all the time. But Momoa has a way of tapping into this dangerous, furious, primal rage you'd associate with the ocean, then flashing a smile that puts you completely at ease. So I can't say this is going to suck as a movie. I am unsure about the Black Manta I've seen so far. I'm not sure where he fits into this and the outfit. Though I look forward to comparing and contrasting the choices made between showing a young Arthur growing up, a child of two worlds, set to save them both, with a young Diana growing up in Themyscira. Because I am a nerd. Also in San Diego Comic-Con news, the 13th Doctor, that screwdriver. It looks like something from a Klingon ship or the Goa Old. Looks fierce and angry, and while I know the Doctor generally doesn't get violent, if she wants to stab someone with that screwdriver, then I am fine with her going equalizer for the first few episodes. Just so when everyone is clear, she means business. Oh, and before we go any further, can we talk about Ezra Miller? He's delightful, isn't he? He cosplayed at Comic-Con again. He's just a giant dork, and we should all treasure him forever and ever. Oh, look at the time player too. We gotta get going. We gotta talk about Shira. Does this castle look familiar to you? Yeah, it's the throne room from Castle Grey Skull. I've always wanted to be here. Now I'm not sure how we got here. I just 
step through a portal and here we are. We're probably going to get in loads of trouble. But we have to be here. So we can talk about the new She-Ra Netflix series. Everyone saw some pictures of that and like more like She-Na with those pants and that animation style and not being an ideal woman anymore. Am I right, you guys? Obviously, no, I'm not correct. Or I would be incorrect if I held that view in any amount of seriousness because that's not how She-Ra worked. There's a lot to unpack with She-Ra and a lot of people who are wrong about different aspects of the new She-Ra. I have an affliction where I have to point out where people are wrong on the internet, or it causes me great pain. I try not to let this affect my day-to-day life, but this is the land of pod and my rules. Before this gets deep, it's important to acknowledge that the new She-Ra is going to be an animation with kids in mind. A new generation will be meeting her, and that's what this specific animation is about. So it's really not about whether old fans like it or not, though I think it's going to have a lot of the same themes, which are universal and ageless in their message. The delivery is going to be different, and it's okay. You don't have to watch it. You can watch the old She-Ra. That's all right, too. Even if some disagree that old She-Ra was bad, but we'll get to that. But first, let's get into this. Starting with the fanboys. Spelt with an I because they think it's all about them and not fandom. But in the interest of not picking on white, straight, cis men, because geez, don't those guys have enough criticism thrown their way? I'm going to use the more gender-neutral term for people getting very super upset that She-Ra is wearing pants. Jerks. Because while there are many men who are upset about the cartoon lady they did or didn't enjoy as kids, and maybe gave them some hints as to where they fell on the Kinsey scale, I can guarantee there's a heap of ladies who are also pretty upset about her wearing pants, because patriarchy is the herpes of society. It just keeps on giving, and it doesn't care who spreads it. So these jerks have decided it's very super wrong that She-Ra is wearing pants, and is being drawn in the way she's being drawn, because apparently that makes her less attractive, which is wrong. To put forward the argument that She-Ra's outfit wouldn't change in a new series made by people decades later is to reveal yourself as someone who doesn't know enough about animation or the world in general. There are different trends, aesthetics and styles that suit different eras and a lot of the time has political undertones. Our clothes tell people who we are and what we're about. That's a political message whether you want it to be or not. You don't get a choice. Welcome to humanity. I'm so sorry. So the new She-Ra was never going to be a carbon copy of the original version and nor should she be. If you want to keep the idea of her alive then you have to allow for those adaptations of her to make her accessible to a new audience. It's like being upset that your favourite author has released a new book in a series you love but the book isn't word for word copy of the last book you read. If you're going with the argument that She-Ra's outfit was very very super vital to who she was, well then, who she was was a warrior. But I I don't know whether you know much about fighting, but I'm here to tell you it's a lot easier to do in pants. The Scottish may disagree, but in general, fighting or any other kind of athletic movement is best done with shorts or pants. In meat space, in schools where girls are forced to wear skirts or dresses, they're statistically less likely to engage in active playground activities. They won't go and, say, play soccer or anything like that because there's a fear of showing your undies. So you might think, wrongly, if she had just wore a skirt, then girls would feel emboldened by that, and wearing a skirt wouldn't matter to them because she does it, which would be nice if it worked like that, but it doesn't. There's just too many other pressures. Also, skirts, while they can be freeing, are also not always the best designed things. So many of them don't even have pockets, and it can be cold to wear a skirt. The counter-argument I've seen against this is that not every character needs to be sexualized, especially female characters, and especially characters in children's animations. And I agree, kids' animations don't need to be oozing with sex, that's part of the reason I love it most of the time, because it doesn't have to be about lusting over or loving someone. But the argument that dressing a woman in practical clothing somehow negates her attractiveness? 
If you made that counterpoint, then don't bother patting yourself on the back for your very aware feminist argument, because you're just going to be giving yourself an arm strain for no good reason because you're wrong. The idea that the way a woman dresses dictates the degree in which she invites sexual attention runs through both of those arguments. It's the exact same tune as, but why isn't she attractive to me? It's also falling into the trap of thinking that something that's conventionally attractive is what everyone finds attractive. Women in sensible shoes and power suits are incredibly hot to me. Women with thighs that can crush a skull and who can carry weapons bigger than me are hot. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. There are plenty of people I know on all parts of the gender spectrum who are very much attracted to people who are not conventionally attractive. Kind of makes you think this whole idea of there only being one form of beauty alone is maybe just a marketing gimmick from an industry that wants us to hate ourselves into buying their products. Aha, I hear you say, but Shira is a kid or looks like one in the images we've seen. She doesn't need to be attractive to anyone. And firstly, yes, I agree. But as a counterpoint, I had so many crushes on so many fictional characters as a kid, I think it's at least a little damaging to talk about any character as not being attractive based on them not being conventionally attractive. Because what you're saying to the kids who will find the new She-Ra attractive, because she's in their age range, do you really want them to think they should only be following a set of rules as to who they like? That they're not just allowed to like who they like? Because that's messed up. Now, if you're one of the jerks who is very super mad about the new She-Ra, but you swear it's not just because she's been created as a character for the male gaze, which, by the way, the creator of She-Ra has said she was never intended to be an ideal woman, and that the important parts of her character is that she's strong and powerful as a warrior, then chill and come and join the rest of us who are not completely thrilled. See, while I love the new look, younger She-Ra, because she's understandable, for the young audience. But as Jamie Go pointed out recently, it also means it's not for us. You know, those of us who are adults and maybe want to see more people like us on the screen. Also, totally follow her on Twitter. She's at J Hamia. That's at J H A M E I A. Or search Jamie, J A Y M E E, Go, G O H. She's so much smarter than me and also sometimes talks about steampunk. Anyway, I'm old. I mean, not completely old, but I'm no longer considered a young person, even if the media keeps referring to my generation like we're fresh from teenagerhood. And as I get older, I'm seeing less and less women who look like me in media. That's a hell of a thing, because I'm white and cis, so there's heaps of us who are given visibility. But the moment we hit a certain age, we start to disappear. Reappearing only when we can be the drunken old art character at a in a Christmas movie, or the uptight mother of someone who is really not that much younger than us, or the sweet grandma who occasionally drops an F-bomb. This is especially true in comics, animations, and video games. Seriously, next time you're engaging in geekery, see if you can spot a main character who is a woman over 25, or even how many support women characters there are over 30 who have wrinkles and are useful. There's not that many out there. So She-Ra in the old series could be that. She was a fully grown woman and it would have been nice to see her again. This series isn't for me, which is okay, just a little sad because everyone needs stories. Anyway, I think I've pointed out everything where everyone's wrong about She-Ra. If I miss something out, hit me up. I may not reply. I don't like being corrected. Oh, but every time I have mentioned She-Ra on the internet, everyone has mentioned Steven Universe-style Thundercats. I agree, to a point. I actually don't see the same stylistic markers in the new She-Ra to have it be like the Steven Universe style, other than they're seeming to incorporate more than just stock standard body types and skin tones, which is pretty cool. 
The animation does remind me of a mix between Teen Titans Go and Young Justice. That's not me saying the same. It's just a similar feeling that it gives me, and this animation is its own thing. That's what I mean. Anyway, if you are hungering for Thundercats, but you're not really into the Steven Universe thing, two points. One, it might not be for you, but you won't know till you see it. And two, the Bandai Thundercats series in 2011 is pretty special, and I think you'll dig it. But, but still, give the new Thundercats a go. What's it gonna hurt? Come on, play it too. play to we're back safe for now that's all you should head back to meet space if you want to talk to me about any of this i am on twitter at chaos kitty m there's also the land of pod facebook page and the kitty m cosplay facebook pages you can hit me up on there and tell me what you think your favorite gundam episode or why you're really looking forward to the new shira it's all good Next week, I'm going to tell you why Kim Possible's pockets are canon and need to stay. But that's next time. You better head out of here. The portal's closing. When you're in meat space, maybe give the Land of Pod high marks on whatever podcatcher you're listening to it on. Until next time, play it too.